you would take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. If you're visiting with us, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We come now to the section that as you're looking at the Bible in front of you, you would see this is the most sustained teaching on fasting that Jesus has in the Gospels. It's the time where Jesus focused on the subject of fasting. I've now had the privilege of preaching this two times this morning and got a lot of comments, especially in light of it being Memorial Day weekend. I want to commend to you, and you'll see that very clearly, the practice of fasting, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to fast immediately after hearing a message on fasting. I'm messing up a lot of people's lunch plans here. So, so you're immune. You don't have to feel guilty about the all-you-can-eat buffet that you have or the, the barbecue and cookout that you have planned for Memorial Day weekend. Eat and enjoy without guilt. But with that said, there is a call to fasting, and, and God's Word is very clear about that. And oftentimes we as the church often can be silent about that. I don't think I ever growing up heard a message on fasting. And I grew up in a wonderful church that preached God's Word. And and I'm sure it was talked about. The first memory I have was a book by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline, where the the chorus of fasting throughout Scripture sort of came alive to me in that book. It's interesting that in our culture, fasting has become sort of fashionable. It's it's ironic in some respects that the, the, the less the church talks about it, the more our culture talks about it. You cannot go a week without seeing a a study from CNN being reported of a peer-scientifically-reviewed journal article that is touting the benefits of fasting for you physically. Social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you, you have athletes and you have actresses and actors that are touting their own fasting regimen, again, for physical Benefits, books and podcasts and, and conferences. Fasting, literally in 2019, how, how ironic is this that fasting really is fashionable in our culture? Now, it, it isn't primarily fashionable for the spiritual reasons that Jesus is going to give us in God's Word here, but there is the physical benefits of it that are being touted in our culture. Now, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very clear that fasting is a a spiritual discipline that God gives us so that we would, would yearn and grow in our spiritual appetite for His glory and His will. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, read in your copy of God's Word, and when you fast, don't look gloomy. Like the hypocrites, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice first in this passage of Scripture here an expectation of Christian fasting Notice that we read in verse 16, when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast, and that's picking up a a refrain that started at the beginning of this chapter, where he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, and when you give, and then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, 
there is this section on the Lord's Prayer that sort of divides our attention, but there, there are three spiritual disciplines of giving and of praying and of fasting in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus is emphasizing, and he's emphasizing both the importance of it, but also the misuse of it. Uh, you need to give not to be seen, and pray not to be seen, and fast not to be seen. This is the refrain of Matthew chapter 6. But there is an expectation. Jesus is not saying that fasting is not important. He is, he is condemning the spiritual hypocrisy, the hollow practice of fasting that was occurring in the quote-unquote hypocrites that he condemns in this passage. But fasting was immensely familiar to that first century world. The, the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament had been annualized as a fast for the Jewish people. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they fasted two times a week, on Mondays and on Thursdays. Fasting was very much a part of the ebb and flow of the religious climate in which Jesus was addressing. Now, there can be some question, well, doesn't Jesus in another passage in Matthew's gospel, wasn't he questioned because his disciples weren't fasting. Well, you remember this in Matthew chapter 9. We read it in verse 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him, him being Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You notice the question here? Pharisees are fasting. But what about all of your disciples? We're following John and we're fasting. The Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not. And Jesus said to them in verse 15, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Notice the expectation. The bridegroom goes away from them after his resurrection and his ascension, where he's seated at the right-hand throne of the Father. Clear expectation of Christian fasting that is given in the Sermon on the Mount and given even in Matthew chapter 19. And that just, is, that just joins the chorus that is sung throughout the Bible about the importance of Christian fasting. You can start in the Old Testament and just walk through it. Moses comes down from Sinai after he renews the covenant with God and he commands a fast. We have in God's word, we have Jehoshaphat who fasts for direction and deliverance from the incoming armies that are threatening them at that time. We have Queen Esther who is placed in the palace for such a time as this. And there's this arch villain by the name of Haman who is plotting the extermination of all the Israelites. And what does Queen Esther do before she goes into the presence of King Xerxes? She fasts and she prays and she gathers her servants to fast and to pray. Jonah goes and he, pre he, he preaches to the citizens of Nineveh, repent. They repent in, in a way that surprises Jonah and, frankly, it offends Jonah. The first response of those converted uh, citizens of Nineveh was to do what? It was to grieve and to fast. Here in the New Testament, you have Jesus before his public ministry, 40 days, 40 nights, fasting. You have uh, Saul, who becomes Paul. He's going down that Damascus road, and he is knocked off his literal high horse spiritually. And, and, and in that moment, uh, metaphorically, spiritually, and, and literally, and in that moment, what is his first response? To fast, to repent. Church at Antioch, before they send out missionaries in Acts chapter 13, before they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas for their Gentile mission, they, they fast and pray. And, and we, we have this, just this chorus of familiarity 
of fasting as, as an important component of the spiritual life of, of the Jewish people and also early Christians. You, you fast forward just a few decades after the New Testament is written, and one of the earliest documents that we have is called the Didache. That document is late first century, early second century, and it's one of the first insights into the early Christian practices. And you know what the early Christians did? They liked the Pharisees. They, they didn't move away from the Pharisaical model. They, they changed it. They didn't fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They fasted on Tuesdays and Fridays. So the early church is continuing that theme of the importance of fasting. You can just go through church history. Do it at 30,000 feet. The Reformation, it, it, it was birthed out of fasting and prayer. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, fasted and prayed. You have John Calvin, the French reformer, fasting and praying. You have John Knox, that great Scottish reformer who said famously, give me Scotland or I will die, fasting and praying. You have John Wesley, the father of Methodism, fasting and praying. You have Jonathan Edwards right there in the first great awakening in our own nation's history, and you have him fasting and praying. And that, that, that's just the people in church history books. The countless men and women in our country across the world that God has used and the means by which he has drawn them closer to him and is, is this path of fasting and prayer. So there is an expectation of Christian fasting, but there's also the purpose of Christian fasting that I want you to discover in God's word. Notice what Jesus doesn't do in this passage. He, he doesn't say, and when you fast, let me tell you what fasting is. Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he give us all of these practical guidance for how many hours should you fast and what should it look like? Why? Because that, that first century world, it was just, it was normal. So for us, this is a little bit foreign to our own spiritual practices. And I think it's important for us to know that fasting in the Bible is an intentional giving up of what is essential for us and is good for us, which is food. You can abstain from certain types of food, but real biblical fasting in the Bible is giving up food for a, a, a period of time to devote yourself fully to the one who is the bread of life. So we're, we're, we're pausing what is normal and what is good in our life. There's nothing wrong. How, how do we call? What do we call the first meal of the day? It is a break fast. We're, we're literally breaking the fast from the night before. And there's nothing wrong with you breaking that fast. But there are times for, and we'll talk about the purposes in a second, we don't break that fast. So we're pausing what is normal, the, the, the eating of food, to be able to devote ourselves, body and soul, to the pursuit of God in a way that is saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Donald Whitney has a wonderful book. It really is, for all practical purposes, a, a Christian classic at, at this point, a modern Christian classic called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. There's a whole chapter in this book on fasting, and he gives nine points of why Christians and even our Jewish forebears in the Old Testament, why they fasted. I just want you to see the purposes. I want you to see the manifold purposes of fasting in the Bible. Number one, seeking God's guidance. So men and women of God's word, they sought God's guidance, and one of the ways they did that was through fasting and prayer. Secondly, expressing grief. We have throughout Scripture men and women who are grieving, not only grieving sin, but grieving loss, physical loss. 
that fast. Number three, they're seeking deliverance or seeking protection. Number four, expressing repentance, returning to God. Number five, humbling oneself before God. Number six, expressing concern for the work of God, praying for God's work and his will to be done. Seven, ministering to the needs of others. So it's not just an isolated fast, just me and myself, but asking God to to break the yoke of injustice, to move in the heart of the poor, Number eight, overcoming temptation, dedicating oneself to the Lord. Number nine, and really, number nine encompasses the previous eight, expressing love and worship to God. So while at times the church can be sort of silent on fasting, the Bible is far from silent on the subject here. And what I want you to hear is, is that fasting is a way that we pause what is normal and what is good for us to say that is you as the bread of life, would feed us spiritually as we pause and we might even experience the discomfort of physical hunger, but we're asking you as the bread of life to guide us, to lead us, to reveal in us who we really are, because this is the truth. We live very unexamined lives in 2019, and many of us are are prone to the temptation of being swept by the currents of just busyness and hurriedness. And even our relationship to food, and I'm not trying to to be an armchair psychologist here by any stretch of the imagination, but even our relationship to food sometimes can be a relationship that masks over hurts and pains, sins, and we we live an unexamined life. And when you fast, I assure you, one thing about fasting is, is you notice it. You don't accidentally do it. It is an intentional stopping of what is normal and is over time a necessity to be able to say, feed me and strip me and reveal in me my ultimate need for you. So one of the reasons we don't fast and one of the reasons we don't talk about fasting is is we're rather comfortable and we're rather easily pleased with the idols of comfort and pleasure. And so to fast is to say, hey, these aren't sinful, but we're pausing what is good to be able to ultimately devote ourselves to what is best. This is the purpose of Christian fasting. So there's an expectation, there's a purpose, and there is a motivation that we need to talk about here. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, just like prayer and just like giving, there's more that is said about the wrong way to do this then it's actually the the very purpose of doing it here. So what does Jesus say in verse 16? He says, don't look gloomy. Don't look somber in some of your translations. He talks about the hypocrites in verse 16. And what did they do? They disfigure their faces. All that Jesus is saying here is, is that these individuals who are fasting for the wrong reason, they want everyone to see that they're fasting. They want everyone to know, look what I am doing. Look how I am a a spiritual Navy SEAL. I'm one of the elite here. Look at me. I'm really intentional. I am really godly. And Jesus says, don't pray to be seen. Don't give to be seen. And don't fast to be seen. But rather, in opposition, Jesus says, anoint your head. Wash your face. There isn't anything super spiritual about this, Dawson. He is saying... Act normal. Act normal. Look normal. Clean yourself up so that you're not going around. I love the way Luther, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, pauses at this moment and he says, fasting for the hypocrites had become a device for having people look at them and talk about them and admire them and say in astonishment, oh, what a wonderful saint that these people are. They do not live like the other 
Ordinary people, they go around in greatcoats with their heads hanging down and a sour, pale expression on their faces. If such people do not get into heaven, what will become of the rest of us? So what does this mean for your life and in my life? Well, there are going to be times in our lives, not all the time, but there are some times that God will call us to fasting and to prayer. And of course, if we have a family, uh, there would be a person in our family that would know that we're doing that. And that's nothing sinful about that. But on the whole, we do not go around. And when people say to us while we were fasting, whether that was just one meal or two meals, uh, and someone said, how are you doing today? And the first thing that you would say is, I'm really, really doing bad. Because you know something? I'm fasting today and it's really, I'm really, really hungry. Or on the worst, we wouldn't say uh, on social media or on Facebook, we wouldn't have a picture of an empty plate and say, fasting for the day, hashtag taking up my cross. Now, none of us, none of us, none of us would do that. None of us would do that. It's an extreme but, but at our heart, we, we all, because the enemy wants to take what is good, like prayer, like giving, like fasting, and he wants to twist it and he wants to pervert it. He just, that, that's how the enemy does. He knows that this is a pathway where we grow in godliness. And so what does he want to do? He wants to eliminate that pathway. And then when we go down that pathway, he wants to twist it so it draws in us religious pride. Look at me, look how holy I am. And what Jesus is saying is when you are doing this, the goal isn't to be seen. The goal isn't for people to know about it. The goal is for them to see the change in your life, that ultimately there is going to be a different result after you fast and pray where you look more like him that there is a freedom from ingrained sin, that there is more of a heart for the poor and and the hurting, that that there's love and there's joy. And God reveals to you the impatience of your life that sometimes can be covered over by the comfort and the pleasure of something as good as food. And he begins to reveal that you know something, there is some, some, some bitterness that I've been covering over. But when I pause, it, it comes out and it comes out in a way that it would not come out if I just went with a normal current of life and living that unexamined life. So fasting is a spiritual pause that connects your physical life to your spiritual life. Now with that said, there need to be two disclaimers that are given. And because Satan does this, he takes good things and he perverts them. And we live in a culture where body image is everything. And unrealistic body images are oftentimes what is fashionable upon covers of magazines and what we see in actresses and actresses, actresses and actors. And we need to just sort of pause here and say that fasting isn't a spiritual permission to live an unhealthy relationship with food and to ultimately become malnourished and emaciated in the pursuit of a quote-unquote ideal body image that is always unrealistic. And those are real issues. Those are real issues that teenagers deal with and college students deal with. And frankly, when you're single, you can still deal with. And even when you're married and you have kids, you can still deal with that. And we need to be, we need to pause and we need to be mindful that while we're not called to broadcast our fasting in the moment, that we do need spiritual mentors that can help us even with our motivations to follow God and give in in prayer and in fasting. And so it is wise for us to be able to talk through 
what our motivations are to understand that sometimes our motivations to fast have nothing to do with the spiritual pursuit of God, but it could be an unhealthy physical body image that we are pursuing. And again, it is a wrong motivation. I want to say that clearly. Now, the second disclaimer that we want to say is, is that at times we can treat fasting as a spiritual, well, good luck charm. And in the worst way, it becomes... Aladdin's come out, the, the, the new movie of Aladdin, and Will Smith is the genie. He's sort of replacing Robin Williams in the cartoon version. And at times we can think of fasting as this is the way that I have a wish list of things that I feel God needs to grant me. And if I'm really serious and I really pursue him, he has to grant my wishes. And the entry point for me to be able to rub the genie of God and to have him come out is through fasting and prayer. And I want you to hear very clearly that fasting at its core is you saying, not my will, but thy will be done. The whole pursuit of fasting is the repentance of sin. It is saying to God, tear up my wish list. It is saying to God, not my will, but thy will be done. It it isn't to be able to, to trick God into having to grant you exactly what you want. Fasting is a humility before a holy God and saying, strip me. Make me depend more upon you. Listen more closely to you. And there are many reasons that we don't fast. And I think one of the reasons is, is at times we're not desperate to hear the voice of the Lord in our life. At times we've become so comfy with sin. And fasting is ultimately out of a pursuit to say there is ingrained sin. And sin that has so enslaved me that it has become a part of me. And I'm grieving over sin. And at times we can be so comfy with it that we don't have room for fasting because there's not a place of grief and true repentance over sin. And so you might be here and everything that I'm saying is falling on deaf ears. And I want you to hear me clearly. It might be the hardness of your heart that you need to repent of. It very well may be the lack of a desire to hear a message like this that you need to fast and to pray and ask God to make you grieve and to see sin as what it actually is. It isn't something that we just write off as, oh, just a little white lies, just a little greed here, just a little gossip here. But rather, this is what put our Savior on the cross. This is what separates us from Him, a holy God. I... I, I've I've told this story two times, and I'm still wrestling with this. I want you to hear my heart in this. I think sometimes it's helpful to hear a testimony of just how fasting works in people's lives because it it is difficult to talk about this. And Danielle and I talked about this back and forth yesterday, and we were trying to to discern the the goal of this. I am not fasting right now, and I'm not trying to disfigure my face to show you how difficult it is to fast. But, but as we prayed about it, we thought it could be helpful to share just a little bit of a, a point of our life of how God used fasting and prayer. And I stand before you as your pastor and one of the means of grace that God used to get me from where I was serving to here what was through fasting and prayer. And let me just tell you briefly that story. So Danielle and I were raising our family in a community that we loved, with people that we loved, and serving in a church that we loved. And there began to be this process of of God just over time sort of revealing to me and then to Danielle that the context and community that we loved and the church that we loved, it was growing increasingly clear 
that that wouldn't be the place that we would plant for decades. And so months of praying, just months of praying, God, is this your voice or is this a sinful restlessness? Is this your will or is this some sin that needs to be confessed? So day in and day out, a prayer became in our own heart, God, we want to be where you want us to be. And when that isn't here, make that door really clear to us. So months of prayer, months of just seeking the Lord imperfectly in every way, but just seeking the Lord in that. And it culminated with a week where just the restlessness was, was too much to ignore. And I just said, Daniel, I, think, I really think we should just devote ourselves to fasting and to prayer. We're just going to take a season and we agreed upon that, and we talked through that, and we, we were directly saying, God, help us test and approve your will for our lives, your good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 2. And it, if your good, pleasing, and perfect will is for us to stay in the context of what we've been ministering in a community that we love and a church that we love, we will be here, uh, we'll, we'll be here to death, do us part. But if it's not your will, show that to be clear. So fasting and prayer, we broke the fast, uh, over a, a Mexican dinner. And, and speaking of that here, that's, that's not a good way to do that. But, uh, yeah. So, but, but that is the honest truth of it, though. And, and we have a thing called afterthoughts. And, and I meant to say this earlier. We have an email that goes out every Monday. And I don't have time to talk through all of the specificity of fasting, all, all the practical suggestions that are really helpful but this email that's going to go out tomorrow morning that, that you can sign up for right now if you don't already receive it, it has wonderful resources, books, articles, and podcasts. So there we were, fasting and praying. And, and we were over this restaurant and we we're talking, and it just became really clear to us that God was saying that this chapter is closing more quickly than you would have first thought. And there was just a holy peace about that. We both looked at each other and said, I think, I think we should be open to God leading us to the next place of ministry. And two hours later, two hours later in my office was the first time I realized that Dawson did not have a pastor. And the first conversation, that occurred, I didn't become the pastor then. There's, it's not a spiritual magic wand here. But in that moment, after months of prayer, it really took us fasting and praying to have clarity of his guidance. And there are many of you in this room who lack clarity about your career, your marriage, there's, there's sin that is stifling your witness. There is, there's a prodigal son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter. And I just want to commend to you the power of fasting in your life. Not a spiritual magic wand, but it is you saying, less of me and more of you. 
move in our life. And, and here we are, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and God shows us, he shows us in history and he shows us in his word that he moves in mighty ways. Now that, that's not always the way that we would envision and it's not always the timing that we would envision, but there's some of us in this room that have sin and it has sin that we cannot move past. And my question to you is, have you, have you fasted and have you prayed confessing and repenting of that sin? There's some of you that say, I'm just, for months I've been unsure about this next step. And my question to you is, have you fasted and have you prayed? There's some of you that say, we, we just cannot get through to our teenage son right now. Have you fasted and have you prayed for that teenage son? There's some of you that are here and you're saying, my heart breaks for our country and my heart breaks for the divisiveness. And I ask, have you fasted and have you prayed? Do we spend more time on our knees? Asking God to move in our own life and to move in our church and to move in our country for his glory and our good. Will we be people that fast and pray? Why do we do that? So that we would grow in our hunger for the only true one who could fill us. The one who is the bread of life. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning and we're a grateful people and I pray that you would help us think carefully about what is important for us to consider. That your word's clear about, but oftentimes in our own life we can mute, ignore. Lord, I pray that we would see fasting not as an end unto itself, but as a means by which we more wholly depend upon you and you shape us and you mold us to look more like you. Where we repent of sin, we seek your will, not our will. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your direction. We want to look and to be more like your son. That, that's our prayer. So let us see how this intersects our life. There, there's some of us in this room that cannot physically go down the road of physical fast. And, and that's okay. And we understand that. And there are many of us in this room that have shut that door and we've shut it prematurely. And I just pray that you would open our eyes spiritually to see that next step, that next step in obedience to, to thinking carefully about what, what would you have us do as a family? What would you have me do as an individual? What would you have our church to be and to do as we seek you holy? It's in your name we pray. Amen.